time. We are in this series as we consider what it, what it looks like for the church of God to, to come together around the idea and around the heart and around the desire of obedience. As uh, our good friend Josh Reed beautifully showed us last week in the book of Romans, that uh, the purpose in many ways as we see this unfold is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the, the nations. And so if that's our aim and if that's our goal and if that's what our hearts are longing for, then in so many ways our obedience frames that because the, the sovereign plan of God and in the midst of the mission of God, somehow in his mind, he not only chooses us, but he also has a desire to use us in that plan. As this is playing out in front of us, before our very eyes, God chooses us and he uses us. And so when we continue to use language like we feel called to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations, the very paradigm that that's built on, the understanding that that is built on is that God works. He works in us. He works through us. And oftentimes he works in spite of us. And that's who he is. It's the power of the cross. It's what he came to accomplish on the cross. Is that, that is a reality for those of us who call him Lord. And if we were to take that idea and take it in its most simplest form, that takes the form of, of obedience. The way that, that God uses us, the posture of our hearts that we're ready to be used by him is a posture of humility that results in obedience. In the mission of God, God desires to use our obedience to bring about faith, to bring about obedience among the nations for the good and glory of his name. And so we've said it all year that this will happen. This quantifiably will happen. And so when we approach this, like it's our obedience determines whether God will work through you or whether God will work around you. I just finished reading the, the Pentateuch in the Old Testament in my Bible reading plan. And, and one of the stories that fascinates me that I always, often, like I don't always go back to it, um, is the story of the talking donkey. It's, for many reasons, that's got to be one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. Like after I read that, I just thought like, if, if, like my, if my donkey talked to me, like would I talk back? Like, have you ever, like, stopped and really considered that? But the, the heart of the story is, you know, Balaam's donkey, and, and there's an angel of the Lord on the path in the way. And, and, and Balaam's donkey, like, tries to miss, rightfully so, the angel of the Lord. And every single time, he, Balaam gets off and he beats the donkey. Until the third time, when the donkey opens his mouth and, and says to Balaam, like, hey, here's why I'm moving aside, because the angel of the Lord is before me. And I'm not sure this is exactly what's, what's happening to this. But like, listen, I don't ever want to get to a place in my life where my donkey has to talk to me for me to see the work of the Lord. Like, you know, the Bible teaches us that if we are silent, even the rocks will cry out. I think Balaam teaches us even if we're blind to the work of God, our donkeys will cry out. And I don't say that too loosely. I think this is one of the ways that our hearts can be obedient to the Lord, that when we seek him in obedience, that we see his hand, that we see his work. We know that this is not going to stop. If a rock has to cry out, if a donkey has to talk, the mission of God will be complete. And so our heart then, as children of God, as the church of the Lord Jesus, is a heart of 
obedience. The mission of God through us or around us is somehow connected to the obedience within us. So what I want us to see today in Luke chapter 9 is how the call to follow Jesus is ultimately a call to obedience. Follow along as I read Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Verse 27, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. God, help us to see through your word the call that you've placed on us and in us to obey you. And Father, as we saw last week, this obedience does not come with a weight that we cannot carry. Father, this obedience comes with joy. Father, as we're giving ourselves to you, as we're giving ourselves to your work. And so, Father, I pray that you would use Luke chapter 9 to accomplish this within us. And so, Father, we come before you now and we ask you, God, in all humility, but also, God, in all courage, would you do what only you can do now? Father, would you speak through the power of your word given to us in the Spirit? God, transform our hearts. God, the deep hidden things within us that we are even blind to this morning. God, we pray that the light of your Spirit would shine on them. God, and you would call us to follow you. God, that you would call us to obey you. Not in our own strength, Father, but in the strength that your Spirit provides. So, Father, would you do that, the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word now? In Christ's name, amen. If we look at it, continue to look at Luke chapter 9, I actually kind of want to work backwards in the text, and I realize it's kind of six one way, half a dozen another. So let's look at verses 24 through 27, and then we will return to verse 23, probably the most popular verse in this group uh, to end our time together with. And so let's begin by seeing the choice of obedience. I want to read verses 24 through 27 again. It says, forever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. In this moment, Jesus is unrolling for his disciples and saying to them, listen, for you, obedience is a real choice, and the choice is yours. But do not think in your own obedience that you get to define the terms of that obedience. And he kind of lays out for them in verses 24 through 27 what those terms could look like. If you seek to, to save your life, you will actually lose it. If you seek to gain the entire world, you will lose yourself or you will lose your soul. If you are ashamed of me and of my word, then one day when the Son of Man returns, he too will be ashamed of you. And he is coming. 
is the promise here. He's coming, and he's coming in glory. And so it's almost as if Jesus asked his disciples and his followers gathered in front of him, do you want to see the glory of God? Do you desire to see the glory of God? And if you do, then that's going to take place on my terms, not on your terms. And so often for us, in the crosshairs of that choice is the choice of obedience. Jesus is literally telling his disciples here, listen, he tells them that self-preservation will kill you. Even when you desire whatever your bottom line might be in your life, whenever you desire for that to end and, and the black, whenever you profit, whatever that might mean for you, like even in that moment, you have lost it all. If you're too ashamed of, of me or if you're too ashamed of, of my word, then you don't even really know me is what Jesus is telling his disciples here. And you will have no part of my glory when I come back. It's the choice of obedience that in the world's eyes, there are individual choices that we make as followers of Christ in our obedience. That in the world's eyes, do they look at us and do they see us and, and do they see us seeking to save ourselves? Is that our, our desire? Our good friend and fellow church member, one of the most profound things that Doug Boyett, maybe the only profound thing Doug Boyett has ever said to me, <laughs> is, is in a lot of this is like he desires in his work with hospice is, is to, to help Christians die well. Because there's eternal hope for us in Jesus. Right? And so we need to be careful that as we approach this life that we're not afraid to die well because we have an eternal hope in heaven. In the world's eyes, we're seeking to save ourselves, preserve ourselves. In the world's eyes, like what bottom line are you seeking? Like I, in my own testimony, I look back at, at part of my growth in Christ and, and yeah, I might not have wanted to gain the whole world, but I wanted to gain part of the world, didn't I? And what does this scripture teach us? If we seek to gain those things, we'll lose it all. There's a different framework of obedience for us who are in Christ. And then verses 26 and 27 are still particularly challenging for all of us here today because the ultimate question of this is not really about shame, I would say, or even glory, but this question, like in what area of your life is God's word not enough? In what area of your life is God's word not enough? Because it's at that moment when we're not really standing on him or on his word anymore, anymore, somehow we've twisted this equation and we've made it all about us. And that's where the shame comes in. So it's not necessarily clear or overt shame. It's just the subtle realities that we think we have to add something to this word to make us whole or to fulfill us. It's that place where we exchange the true eternal glory of God for temporary glory of man. It's individual choices of obedience, but there's also corporate choices here of obedience. And so we could take these same statements that Jesus is giving his disciples and apply them to the gathered group of the disciples, apply them to the early church and apply them to our church. I think a great question that we have to ask in these first two verses is this, are we seeking to preserve our church or are we seeking to build the kingdom? Because Christianity is certainly so much more than institutional preservation. Because what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, listen, if you take one step off of this, then you're at risk of losing it all. Why? Because you're desiring to save something that's not yours to save. You're desiring to preserve something that's not of 
me. So what then, if, you know, it, like what are we seeking in verse 25? What does it profit a man? What does it profit a church if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? And we see this played out all the time in, in, in American culture, right? That churches try to be so appealing to so many that they divert from the truth and they are compromised of the truth and they're literally worthless to the hope and cause of Christ because they just become another worldly organization because they're shame and they don't choose to stand on the word of God. The word of God is no longer enough for them that they think you have to, to water things down to making things culturally appealing to people. That might not be our struggle, but the also is the other struggle. Like, you, like listen, like a, a beautiful sanctuary filled with beautiful people, that's still not the right target. The mission of God, it's the hope of Jesus. It's what we see and we'll unpack here in verse 23. So then it goes back to this last question. Are we ashamed of God and his word? You know, it is a whole lot easier for us as a church to stand on truth. And we should. But that's not the only thing we should stand on. We should stand on grace, too. And as these things come together, it's way easier for us to stand on the truth of God than it is for us to stand upon the grace of God because the grace of God makes me interact and live and love people that I'm not comfortable loving. But the truth of God, I can insulate myself to people who only, only believe this same truth that I believe from the word of God. And I can, I can insulate myself and not live in the grace of Jesus, the fact that he came to draw all men to himself. We gotta stand on truth. We gotta stand on grace. Standing on grace allows us to give ourselves in humility so that we might not always know how exactly this will play out. But I feel the Lord leading. And so I'm not going to compromise the word of God, but I'm also going to follow the word of God because the word of God takes me somewhere outside of myself. The question that Jesus is really asking his disciples here is this. Will you, disciples, will you follow me at all cost? Or will you seek to preserve yourself? Or will you seek to find profit for yourself? Or will you seek me above all of those things? And it's the same question that Jesus is asking us here today. Well, will you obey him at all cost? Because you see, the, the, the world will tell you and the world will teach you, hey, just, just trust your heart. Just follow your heart. But the word of God says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Listen, don't trust or follow something that's deceitfully wicked. Follow Jesus, not your heart. Your heart's broken. As Pastor Matt said, that beautiful text in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, like our heart was dead and now it's alive in Christ. The world will tell you to, to seek your own kingdom, but the word will tell you to seek first the kingdom of God. The world will tell you that you'll be happy if all you have is just a little more money, a little bigger house, a little nicer car, whatever it is for you, if I could just take a, a little more extravagant vacation, that somehow that will fulfill the deepest parts of my soul. But God's word says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. And that is right hand or pleasure forevermore. You see, there is a hope in Jesus that all the things this world has to offer us cannot give us. Will you obey him? at all costs. The world will tell you that you can take this little faith that you have and you can put it in a box and you can put it on your nightstand and you can just exercise it two hours a week. 
You can take your Christianity and you can do it and exercise it your way. But New Testament Christianity is one that has a particularly corporate lens in which you give your lives to building up the body of Christ. That your Christianity and your faith is no longer about you. It's about making Jesus look good among us and in us. Will you obey him at all costs? Because here's the great reality that we stand here today and we have sung about and heard about the cross of Christ for us. That there's power in the cross of Christ. Because here's the great reality that Jesus is infinitely worth it. He's infinitely worth it. And our lives need to model his infinite worth. Like verse 25 here is not just hyperbole. Whatever does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Listen, your soul is literally more valuable than anything in the world put together. Your soul is worth more than that. All the fame, all the promotions, all the bonuses, all the big salaries, all the comforts of retirement. Listen, Jesus is worth more than that. It's a choice of obedience. And so every time that we choose to elevate something over, than, over Jesus and over God, we are diminishing his glory and worth in us and through us and for us. Listen to the hope of verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Particularly, we believe that this text is pointing to the transfiguration that follows, but there is a great reality and truth for us here today that our hope in Jesus allows us not to taste death on the earth's terms. It changes for us. Therefore, your choice matters. You choosing to obey matters. But it's dangerous for us to live in the paradigm or the idea that obedience for us is really just a choice to us. That's a dangerous place to live because when we return back to verse 23, the verse that frames this entire paragraph, what we see here is it's not just a choice to obey. It is a call to obey. Think of verse 23. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the call. If anyone would come after me, this is what this looks like. In the context of, of chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, we see in the beginning, Jesus sends out his 12 apostles. He sends them out to do two things, to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. Then he comes back and he feeds the 5,000. In verses 18 through 20, we see Peter confess Jesus as the Christ in verses 21 through 22, Jesus foretells of his death. He says, listen, here's what's coming for me. Here's my lot in life. Here's how this story ends for me. And then he ends that story with this. Will you follow me? Here's what's coming. Here's how this plays out. One day I'll be here no more. I'll be gone for forever. But here's this invitation. Will you come after me? Will you follow me? Will you deny yourself? Will you take up your cross and follow me? We heard a couple weeks ago, listen, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But look how verse 23 begins. Everyone can, but verse 23, but if anyone would. Everyone can do this, but if anyone would do this. The invitation is sent to everyone but not everyone responds to the invitation. 
And listen, you don't get to respond to the invitation and go to your own party. Like, this is the life he's called us to. Everyone can call on him, but if anyone would call on him, this is how this plays out. He says to them all, he, he's, he has his gathered disciples in front of him and says to them, listen, this, this is what obedience looks like. Jesus calls us to obedience. And as I said earlier, we do not get to define or to write or to articulate our own terms and conditions to our obedience. It's a call that he elicits from us. I know many of you probably have had jury duty before, right? You get the jury summons in the mail. How many of y'all have been bold enough to walk into the courtroom and say, Judge, I appreciate this invitation, but I'm actually just going to give you uh, two hours this week. And then I have a few other things I need to get to. So here I am. I'll be here uh, probably from about 1030. If the, if the judge is long-winded, we might be done at 12. Uh, but then after that, I'm going to go on because I have a few other things to take care of. Right? In so many ways, like this is the call to follow Jesus. And God help us if we approach him with that kind of audacity. All right, God, he go, I, I got a couple hours. I'll squeeze you in my Sunday morning. But then I got, I got a long checklist of things that I need to do. Monday through Friday, and we'll just see if we have time next weekend, and we'll see if that's in the cards or not. I'm not really feeling it this week. So, like, we don't, like, God help us if that's the posture of our heart, because what we see here is when God calls us, he determines and gives framework to that call. That when we come to Christ, we are called to be like Christ. And what does that look like? Look how verse 23 describes it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Oftentimes this is preached as a three-step process. I don't think that's true. If we look at the original language here, what we see is that follow me is the imperative. This is what it means to, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. To deny yourself and to take up your cross are indicatives that describe the imperative. So this is ways that we describe the Christ-following life. It is a a life of self-denial. It is a life of bearing your own cross. And and, and in English, this could kind of be like the first two being adverbs to the last verb. These are describing the way in which this verb is lived out. That following me is described as a way in which that we do take up our cross daily and we do deny ourselves. Jesus is saying here, as clear as possible, that there is no following me without self-denial and without self-sacrifice. This is what Christianity is, and you never graduate from it. If one of you were saved this week, placed your faith in Jesus for the first time this week, this is what you'll give your life to. If one of you were saved 74 years ago, This is the call that God has placed on your life until you no longer have breath. And that is a call to follow him in a way that is selfless, deny ourselves, bear the cross that he's given to us. We bear the image of Christ's likeness, that we're willing to carry this weight until the day that we die so that we can follow Jesus. It's the call that he has for our obedience. So what's the call to follow me? If anyone would come after me, is what Jesus says in verse 23. If anyone would, if you want to come after me, then keep in step. Our family made the mistake of going to Sam's on Saturday. Woo, bad idea. 
And they very intentionally probably put all these cool kid things right at the entrance. And so like we're walking in, perusing through three girls in tow. And we're like, this is not how we want to end this Saturday. And so what do we say? Hey, hey girls, let's keep up. Or keep walking, girls. Keep in step with me. Girls, come after me. We didn't come here to buy an inflatable side, slide that's the side of our house. Like, we're not here for that. We don't want pool noodles. Like, we came for a rotisserie chicken, honey. Right? And so, hey, just come after me. Just come after me. Isn't that how your life is? You're following Jesus, right? And you walk in and, wow, there's temptation all around. There's things that you think in your flesh that you want that God, your father, knows that they'll just end up with holes in it and leave you empty and sad. Isn't that the Christ-like walk that we have? No, no, hey, keep in step with me. I got something better for you. I get, there's something nutritious in the back. You don't need that candy. Keep in step with me. If anyone would come after me. So you see this call, this invitation, and it's not because you're something special and you have something to offer God. Let me go ahead and burst your own bubble there. Listen, this call to follow him is not because of merit within us. It's because of mercy within God. The fact that he ever, in his love and in his grace, looked at my life and said, here's this invitation, Luke. It's yours to follow. It has nothing to do with me or the skills that I have to offer him, as if he's ever impressed with me. No, it's because he's a God of mercy and grace and desires relationship with us. And then relationship comes on his terms, and his terms are obedient terms. The invitation to follow him. What does that look like? Deny yourself. The greatest lie of the devil, I believe, is this, that you can say yes to yourself and yes to Jesus at the same time. The greatest lie of the devil in your heart and in your life today is the fact that you can say yes to yourself and to Jesus at the same time. We see that nowhere in the New Testament. We see that nowhere in the call to follow Jesus. The following Jesus always rests on the premise of you letting go of your sin and of your flesh and of your fleshly desires, even if they're good, so you can live these godly desires that he's placed within you. Denial is not just passively getting out of the way. It's actively killing everything that gets in the way. So often we think of denial just kind of stepping out of the way so that God can move. No, like denial is you and the motive and intention of your heart actively killing everything that gets in the way of you following Jesus. So let's put this into play, right? We enjoy this beautiful Sunday that God has given us. We probably stay up later than we should. That alarm goes off tomorrow. And I don't know how your family works in the morning, but from the time our feet hit the floor, we're on go mode until three little girls get in bed about 7.30 or 8 o'clock. That's just how we work. And so what in that day, how does that play out in our day? Like if I'm not actively following Jesus, right? It's not like I can just sidestep that and reorient some things on my calendar. It's a posture of the heart that I desire to obey Jesus. And so what keeps you from obeying Jesus? And don't pet that sin. Kill it. Don't treat it like it's okay and you'll get after it tomorrow. Like if something in your life is keeping you from following Jesus, kill it because it is killing you. Like the God of the world who created you desires for you to live in relationship with him. So fight anything and everything that gets in your way of doing that. It's the heart of self-denial, denying yourself. The other command, to take up your cross daily. Culturally, we have a hard time with this. Like, 
oftentimes even we describe someone's plot in life as if it's just their cross to bear. You've heard that. Perhaps you've even said that. So we, we have to admit, we've trivialized this from the very beginning. But most people believe by this time in history that Romans had crucified over 50,000 Jews. And the way this crucifixion took place is they would leave jail, they would leave their cell, they would leave prison. And just like Jesus, that, that cross, the cross beam would be on their shoulders. It would be on their back. And they would literally carry their cross to their point of execution. That's how 50,000 Jews died at, by this time in history under Roman rule. And so you see, when Jesus tells his disciples that, hey, you have to take up your cross daily, to them, that was not an abstract thought. That was vivid. That was probably a distant family member who they watched carry their own cross to their own crucifixion. That was a, a name of someone that had given their life for this cause. And Jesus tells him, that is the only way that you follow me, by taking up your cross daily. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, says it like this, that when Christ, you've probably heard this quote, when Christ bids a man, he bids him to come and die. That when God called you to salvation, that invitation was to your own death. That's the only invitation that God gives. That in order for you to have life in him, you have to die to yourself and the desires of the flesh and the desires of this world. That's the only way that you'll ever be alive in Christ if you die to yourself. And so not only then is this reality true, not only did Christ die for you, but you died with him. I love the different ways that Galatians captures this. You've probably heard some of these verses before. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ... Jesus have done what? They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 6, 14, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see the mission of God, his rescue plan that God knows exactly what he needs to accomplish this. And it's not your wisdom. It's not your insight. It's not your resources, it's not your energy, it's not your eloquence, it's not this pretty little house that you've built for yourself. What the Lord Jesus needs to accomplish this mission is your heart. And it is the call to follow Jesus. The call to follow him takes place within your heart. And this is why he's called us to obedience. So we see the call to obey, the most simplest form is the call to follow Jesus, And so the call then is not about the things that you are letting go of. Don't think of it that way. The call to follow Jesus is not the laundry list of things that you have to let go of in order to do that. The call to follow Jesus is described and depicted by who you are holding on to. Jesus doesn't care about your things, however much or little you have. He cares about you holding on to him when things come and when things go. When life is good, when life is hard. When things are going your way and when things are not going your way. The call to follow him rests upon him holding you. And so again, the question we have to ask this morning is this. Is Jesus worth it all or is he just worth some of it all?
Is he worth it all? Or is he just worth some of it all? If we think about who's gathered here today, probably joining us online some, you know, these, we have beautiful children in our midst and we know, like, listen, they are busy trying to figure out life. In this moment, like, listen, the call to obey is the call that he came to give you life. So in your childhood curiosity, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to your king. Teenagers gathered here, like, listen, we know, experientially, we know in culture that you may be tempted and lured away by this false lie, this desire and pursuing worth in something or someone else. Listen, do not gain the whole world and lose your soul. Don't do it. It's not worth it. The temptation of the world, though. And for us adults, this is where we are, right? We are being tempted to build our lives and our families around ourselves and our schedules and our values and our thoughts and our desires and our conveniences. Those things are a lie. Build your life upon following Jesus. Anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself to take up his cross. Follow me. For the senior adults, gathered here. Like, listen, we know the world is changing faster than any of us can keep up with. And things are not the same as they used to be. And the temptation for so many of us in this room is this, is to hang on to whatever we can control. And whatever we can't control, let that turn into bitterness within us. Don't do that. Don't believe that lie. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is no age descriptor on that. There's only life in Christ for that. And so as long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as, long as God gives you a beat in your heart, that is how we follow Jesus on his terms, not in our own. So maybe consider it this way, that in Jesus, have you found something or someone worth losing everything for? In Jesus, have you found someone worth losing everything for? And I promise you, I promise you, it is a lie from the devil. If you heard that and you thought, well, I don't have to choose either or, I can choose both and. That is a lie. Forfeit. Don't want to lose it because I'm too busy building my own thing, doing my own thing, doing it my own way. No, if anyone would come after me, you live in self-denial. You carry your cross. You follow Jesus. I think one of the great temptations in this text is for us to walk away thinking, oh man, I have a much longer list of things that I need to do for Jesus. That's not at all what this text is saying. Temptation for us to do more, to do more, to do more. The reality for us is that in Christ it is done. It's finished. Think about how this is illustrated. Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment. And consider where this text falls. We are chapters away from him living this text. You remember that prayer he prayed in the garden as he's bleeding, these drops of, of, of or sweating these drops of blood. His, his prayers is like, God, not my will, but your will be done. He knows what's coming. The ultimate act of self-denial and sacrifice when he will be wrongfully charged, wrongfully imprisoned, wrongfully have to carry his own cross to the point of exhaustion, when someone has to come and help him carry it the rest of the way, 
And one day he will be on that cross. That one day is coming soon. And so what he is teaching his disciples, and it's like, listen, I am calling you to this life. I'm calling you to this obedience because I am going to literally deny myself. I'm going to literally take up my cross. And I'm going to literally do that so that you can follow me. See, Jesus came to call us to obedience through his perfect obedience. There's rest there. We don't have to perform for God. We just have to rest in him. We don't have to go and outwork our fellow church member. We just have to follow him. That's the call, to be obedient to him. The fact that he was the perfect son of God, and yet he was born into an imperfect world. Perfect son of God. Born of an imperfect virgin. The perfect son of God lived and walked among this imperfect world. The, the perfect son of God came to, to, to die on the cross for us, to take away our, our sin, take away the penalty of our sin. The perfect son of God rose again in power. And in that power, the, the, the power of the risen Christ is where you get your obedience. You don't have to wake up on Monday morning and, and, and drink this protein shake or energy drink or, or smoothie of God's obedience to help energize you throughout the day. Like you have to live into the life that God's called you to live by faith. He's already accomplished for you. He's already given you his spirit to empower you to the task. All you have to do is live into it. So for us, are we living into that power? Are we living into the power of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross? If we are, here's the great reality. Like when, when people look at your life, who do they see that you are following? Are we, are we captivated by the latest trends or are we captivated by our true Savior? Are we captivated by a way of doing life ourselves, or are we captivated by the Son of God who came, bled, and died for our forgiveness? Who are you following? See, this call to obey is a call that Jesus has given to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. It's the heart of the Christian. It's the heart of the church. It's the heart of obedience. Accomplished for us by Christ. Empowered in us by the Spirit. And so this comes full circle for us. And it comes back to desire. It comes back to our heart. To obey. Will it mark our lives? To deny him or deny ourselves Take up his cross and follow me. Church, let's live into this call. It's the life God's promised us, and he's worth it. He is the one, the only one, that's worth losing everything for. It's the call. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of Jesus. God, thank you for the life that is found only in him. God, we thank you that you did not call us and leave us here to figure it out for ourselves. God, you called us and empowered us by your spirit to walk in obedience unto you. And Father, there are realities in our hearts and lives, God, where our hearts and lives are, are bound by chains. God, there are things holding us back. There are idols in our heart that have wrapped our hands up and bound us, Father, and keeping us from following you like you've called us to follow you. And God, it's only your grace that frees us from those things.
God, there is power in the cross because it's in the cross that grace was made available to us. And so, Father, as we respond to the call in our hearts, in our lives, to obey you, God, remind us of how that is deeply rooted and seated in the grace that you've given to us in Jesus. Father, move and work as we sing of that grace now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?